What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. Well, Jules, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. I like that we started with, it's just one name. Like, usually I introduce people full name and... I was like, I got to ask, like, I'm just saying Jules, you know, do you ever get confused with Jewel, the singer? I'm sure that happens all the time. Uh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> Never? Oh, really? Okay. All right. Hey, I've been wrong before. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, Jewel, Jules, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Kind of like we were talking a little bit uh, off the air. We have a lot of similarities as far as fitness and sobriety and think trauma too for all three of us you know and uh, I'm just super excited to kind of jump in and have an authentic conversation about all those topics I think you know kind of like we said at the top to our listeners that's kind of the wheelhouse of the show and talking about those topics and getting different voices and different opinions and I'm more than interested in hearing your story and about your book so there's so there's so many places to go with this I don't know where to where to even start, but maybe we would start with kind of your 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 life, you know, and how you found yourself into the fitness world and the sobriety realm. And maybe we'll just kind of start there if that's okay with you, Jules. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was born and raised in the Midwest, and I think, and this was back in the 70s, right? So if you can kind of, you know, veer back a few years, it's like our resources. I mean, zilch for resources, right? And so I had, there weren't many options, I should say, you know, I didn't realize the options. And so um, for me, I had a really hard time, not necessarily uh, with like authority, but I just didn't like how cookie cutter everything was. It was just this really uncomfortable spot of like, I just didn't fit. Like I was too big for my shoes type of feeling and not egotistically, right? So so I I had found that, you know, a lot of the traditional things I just, it, I, it just didn't fit. And so like, even when I did get into recovery, I mean, you know, I would go into the rooms of recovery and, and they would use words like surrender and, you know, man, unmanageable. I'm thinking, do you not know where I've come from? Of course my life is manageable, right? Like <laughs> I can, I, I've lived this long and you want me to surrender? So semantics was really, really a big challenge for me because it made me feel like I was gonna have to go in a box. And that's just totally against my grain. And so, you know, growing up with that kind of mindset, I think I always kind of had that internal like balk. Like I just didn't, like something's gotta be better. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really what brought me through like all the crappy stages of life, all of that darkness I went through in the beginning. I think it's that angst that I had that this can't be it, thank God, right? So, um, you know, so I, I drank and drugged for 19 years trying to fit that mold, you know, their mold, my mold, the confusion of the trauma. I mean, I was a mess and I was totally not guided, you know, um, I dropped out when I was in ninth grade. What, what are we at ninth grade? We're like, what? Freshman 14. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Totally. That's a little early to throw in the towel. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But think about like the, the life skills. Right. I, I've got zilch. In fact, they're like in the negative. So yeah. a lot of my story has to do with 
creating my own space mm-hmm. because nobody else's space just really seemed to fit. Yeah. No, I love that. That's true. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, especially the story you mentioned of coming into the rooms and hearing kind of like the language or the verbiage that they use. And not that, you know, um, it's like right or wrong, but it's just very, very much um, like predominant. It's just kind of it's one way, like you were saying, it's very one way. And especially the God thing, too, you know, of like Mm -hmm. you got to find God and you got to get a sponsor and. You got to yeah. admit you're powerless. Like that's where this whole podcast, you know, living empowered, not powerless, because we struggled with, and uh, the majority of people who come through our program have struggled with just getting on board with thinking that because we all have an internal like strength that we know we're not powerless. We just need to figure out totally. how to get empowered. Totally, totally. And I, I don't need to smash my ego. Let's face it, that ego saved my life. Right like numerous times thinking I was better than, or I need to get the hell up out of here. I mean, that ego was really important during during those struggles. So yeah, there was a lot of just like, this isn't gonna work, I really want this, but I'm gonna have to change it up a little bit. And semantics <laughs> was a really big part of that. So instead of using words like unmanageability, I will say, what's not working for you? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, if that's the case, we'll tell you, like I got this ticket and la 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 la, I could give you a long list. So I had to be very mindful, again, of like the programming of other people's program, yeah, which really brought out that authentic side of me, which is really awesome, actually. Yeah. And that's that's like a very interesting kind of uh, space to explore, I think, too, where, you know, it's like, I guess the way I see it is when you're first getting sober, it's kind of under the guise of like, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing, you know, like. We're all, we all, like, that's the prerequisite to show up to the rooms, right? Is that, like, something's freaking clearly wrong? So it's like we're in this space that, like, we need, like, we need help, but you're, you might only get, like, one, one, one way of help. And to kind of sift through that is, can be super confusing where it's like, sometimes I say, you know, like, if you get a sponsor in AA, like you're only going to get as much help as that guy can really give you, you know, and what if you pick the wrong one? And, you know, you've seen probably countless stories of, you know, getting a bad sponsor, getting caught up in the rip with the wrong people in the rooms that just kind of project how they did it onto you. And being very early in recovery, it's it's hard to kind of sift through all that, you know, I think it's super mm-hmm. difficult. Absolutely. And I think what I also learned by going through that little passage you just spoke of, because I did, I got the lady who said, you don't have a sponsor. I'm your sponsor. Yeah, you know, I'm I'll like, save well, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who the hell are you? And why are your rules going to apply to me? Right. And so I was really like really resistant against that. Like, like I said, those first three years were really, really tough because I had so much that was coming up. Right. So even if I did see the light, I wasn't going to see it because I was so caught up in my stuff. So what I tend to do now that I have that experience is I don't have your answers, yeah. but I have tools that will help you find your answers. Mm-hmm. That's the way I do this now with people in and out of recovery, because everybody I've learned to appreciate, greatly appreciate the journey. Because I mean, even just looking at my book and that timeline, you're like, why did this all happen? for a greater cause there's got to be right so i'm not here to interrupt or change anybody's lanes of that journey 
I'm just here to, you know, give you ideas to make them kind of, you know, come to your mind, your thoughts, so you can create. Well, I, like I think that. I think as addicts and alcoholics, we just respond better to that. I mean, we're rebellious by nature. So somebody telling us what our problems are, yeah. it's like, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. That's not my problem. That's your problem. And I think <laughs> it's really important to just, like you said, give them the appropriate tools for self-discovery because then it's really real. When you have that light bulb go on for yourself, it's real for you as opposed to them putting it on you. And so I definitely agree. And obviously, you know, because that's our modality. We give people the tools for them to figure it out. Um, but I think that's the key to long lasting sobriety because it makes it more genuine and authentic per the person, per their specific and only their problems, as opposed to the group's problems. Totally, right? And that's creating like, that's now my new life skills, right? That's what I want to incorporate into somebody. Cause it, you know, just like as a personal trainer, I'm here to train you, to teach you. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to be your trainer for the rest of your life. Right. You know, there's a difference. And I think, you know, just examples of parenthood, I mean, tells me that we are off right in the beginning. You know, like we're not here teaching kids how to, we're here dominating kids. So it, it's just our upbringing. It's the way I've been programmed. So I'm grateful to be able to see past that because there's such authenticity on the other side. And I think that's where the joy is and the, this whole freedom we speak of. Yeah. Well, and that's an amazing similarity, too, when you look at training people and getting people sober. Like, no two bodies are the same. So you can't give people mm -hmm. the same cues to squat big or knees out or whatever it is. Like, yeah. it's not going to apply to that guy next to him who's doing something completely different and needs a totally different type of coaching. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know why I, this came up to my mind, but when you were talking about, like, these cookie-cutter approaches, the thing that's coming up for me is, like, all of the uh, personal trainers and stuff on Instagram that are like, I'll give you a custom fitness plan and a custom workout plan. And then you just like, no, they're not at all. You know, <laughs> it's just like this generic plan that they're given yeah. to everybody. I don't know why that came up, but it did. <laughs> it's truth. It's truth. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why. <laughs> so Jules, when did sobriety start for you, I guess? Like, when did you realize that you had a problem and needed to get sober? Like, what did that like area of your life look like? What's kind of the, the idea behind that? You know, most people have that aha moment, like, wow, my life is a disaster. I should probably change this. Yeah. Um, I wasn't as fortunate to have that light bulb moment. Um, I think I hit that bottom probably about three times Yeah. before that, that devastating dark space of, you know, attempting suicide and, you know, finding myself in, you know, the <laughs> wrong areas of life. Yeah. And, you know, and it happened to be, I was here in Dallas, oddly enough, and I was in a relationship with a woman and I happened to be out with her friends one afternoon. And I nonchalantly, I mean, I'm in the back seat. I just braised the idea of saying, I just wish I didn't drink so much. Uh huh. I wasn't asking for help. I was making conversation. And those two women in the front, they were both in recovery. And within a 30 minute window, I'm not kidding, like 30 minutes, I was sitting in one of those cold ass chairs in the room of recovery. Like I am sitting around these people talk about not fitting into the general public. I'm looking at these folks and I'm like, oh my God, they smoke. 
they stink. Uh-huh. <laughs> this one's in fur, you know. They drink like, cheap coffee. <laughs> where the heck am I? And oh, great, here comes a basket, just like church. I yep. mean, like, where am I? And I couldn't stop crying that entire hour. Really? That entire hour. It was like the first time something had permeated all of those layers of armor mm-hmm. that I had acquired for those 19 plus years of, of survival. And this was at the age of 35. Wow. So when they say hit the restart button, I, I totally respect that. And in the beginning, when they said everything's going to have to change, you know, they say people, places and things. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do this my way. Um, but it was that was one of the things that I did take that really, thank God, I was able to like kind of snip those cords because then I wasn't constantly, you know, being wrapped up in that mess over and over. And so um, I did, I changed everything. I moved out of that relationship within the first six months. I mean, I was desperate to keep that feeling, whatever it was. And it was actually, which is really awesome is that, cause this just tells me there's something bigger, right? Because I came in there a hot mess you could not, I mean, if you smiled at me, I'd be like, what, what, what's your deal? What do, yeah. you, what, what do you want from me, right? Like that is the degree I was at. And so when I came in there and you know, the ladies came and they, they would give me a hug and I'd be like, all right, whatever old lady, you know? Yeah. But it was like, and they said, and they would look at me in the eye and say, Jules, we'll see you tomorrow. Totally just melted, you know, the ice around my heart, it was wow. like, I have not been told something like that in years. And so that was the beginning of the end. That was the beginning. And it was, it was a mess coming out of it. I'm telling you, it did not, it was, if you look good doing it, you're not doing it right is my motto. Right. So, and, and it was a process and thank God those women were more patient than I was, but yeah, midlife, definitely 35. Wow. That's, that's one. I mean, just like the way that you language that is just, uh, what's the word? Like, I just feel that, you know, like I can just relate to that so much. And, you know, obviously the audience can too. And I guess like the thing that I was thinking of, I guess my first question is, were you drinking during that date when they brought you to the AA meeting? Were you like drunk or drinking at the time? No, because it was a noon meeting. Okay. So good. I yeah. was still in the morning that morning. Ugh. that's exactly it's the only time i would ever tell you i didn't want to wish i didn't drink so much right (laughs) so no it was not glamorous (laughs) so no i was i was i well i guess i was what five hours sober i guess yeah okay okay no i was just curious if you guys were like on a date drinking and they're like yeah let's go to the meetings you know and then (laughs) the second thing was what do you think was making you cry so much at the meeting? Was it like these people get me or like these stories are like my stories or was it like guilt? Like, Oh shit. Why am I even here? I don't want to be here. Can you recall that at all? God, that's a super awesome question because it wasn't what I heard. Mm-hmm. Cause I'll hear that all the time. Oh, right. I've heard my story and you're, I, I don't think I've ever really heard my story in anybody else's story. Yeah. Um, but, and I wasn't in there because there was so much armor. I don't even think I could have felt guilty if I, if I wanted to, yeah. <laughs> because I wasn't even, I wasn't even connected with my, my, 
my conscience at that point. Got right. It. But I think what it was is because there was so much of that like defense wrapped around me. You know how when you go into a room sometimes and you're just like, like even walking into like a spa, you're like, oh, yeah, it yeah. has an energy to it. It has a vibe to it. Yeah. And I think that that was my level of existence at that point is detecting the vibes of rooms. And so when I went in there and I sat down, even though the ego was trying to defend me and keep me protected, the vibes, you couldn't deny them. And I think what it was is that that connection, that that compassion, mm -hmm. that love for other people, we're feeling towards other people, I tapped into that. And I think that was the only part of me that wasn't dead yet. And so I think that's what it was. It was just the energy of the room that just opened up those floodgates. Wow. Great answer. Yeah, yeah. that's that's super cool. Something yeah. just felt safe a little bit like. Yeah, like, I feel safe here. I don't know why, because I don't trust anybody, but mm -hmm. I'll have to look into that. <laughs> yeah. You know, even like my mind was telling me this is stupid. Get the hell out of here. Right. Like even against my better will, my better judgment, my body was re was like, you know, detecting that. So, yeah, that's an awesome question, though, because like, I don't think I've ever really thought about that. But that's totally what it was. Wow. Definitely wasn't anything I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't anything about me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we and we see that a lot up at uh, you know the facility because it's the first time people can just sort of let their guard down and feel that love uncontrollably without somebody wanting something from them. And there's something so powerful in feeling that safe where you you can allow yourself to have that. And mm -hmm. when we're out drinking and using, you can't have that. That's not right. survival. Oh. That's anti-survival. And so I think totally. for a lot of people, that is the first time they can kind of breathe and let out and let in the love. And that's really mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah, because you're right. When you're out there, I think that's one of the misconceptions is people like will look at us or look at me while I was out there dealing a D. You know, it's like, well, well you're, you're, I, I couldn't be vulnerable. Yeah. I wouldn't have survived. Are you nuts? I wouldn't have survived since age six, Yeah, right? Like if I was vulnerable or asking for help or being, you know, on the receiving side, oh my God, yep. <laughs> that would be, yeah, that would be a complete disaster. So, and I think that's misunderstood a lot of times. I don't think people realize that until they've been in those shoes. When did you start fitness? Was this out when you were still drinking and using or was that something that happened after you got sober? You know, I was raised with that conscious of skinny, 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 skinny. Yep. My that mom was our was generation. That era, yep. Right. Exactly. So the, my mom used to praise herself after a full day of only eating a sleeve of saltines. Oh, my so like goodness. This was. Yes. Yes. So actually what happened is I got sober at 35. I'm, you know, making my way all the way up to that point. I would do things in the gym, like a lot of cardio, things that kind of fulfilled that that, you know, that motto. And so but at age 40, so I'm five years sober. Now, if you can imagine Dallas heat, and I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this or perhaps you, Dallas, is that I would wear Spanx Oof. underneath my blue jeans. Oh, man. Because I was mortified by the texture of my thighs, right? I'm skinny. There's nothing under there, right? There's, there's no muscle under there. And so I went to the gym to get the cellulite off my thighs. Ooh. So again, little did I know what I was in for. And so <laughs> I, those years, I 
that I was, I was doing this so desperately. I just desperately wanted that change, having no idea what, what this path was going to lead to. And so I, I, I signed on with a, a bodybuilder, a trainer, and I just religiously, I did that meal plan every day. I did not have a cheap meal for over a year. That wow. tells you my laser focus, my oh, laser yeah. focus, right? And so, and that's like also one of our gifts, by the way. Mm-hmm. So it's like, <laughs> um, and so, you know, at that time, I was also able to let go a lot of the rage because I was only going to the rooms of recovery. My life was already full trying to undo things, right? So I didn't have time or, or whatnot to go to like, you know, a counselor. I was at the stage where things had to be physically like relief, relieved. And so, you know, for instance, getting underneath, you know, a, a leg press with, you know, four or five, whatever plates on each side, you know, it's like you push out that toxic energy. Mm-hmm. And so it became such a stress reliever for me. I was hooked at that level. But then my body started to change as well. And I was like, good God, look at those shoulders, you know? And so then that also, you know, kept that ball rolling, which ultimately now it's, I'll be, I'll be 50 on the 19th. Wow. So that's been 10 years now. Yeah. And are you still competing? I am. You know, I just, again, I was just going, I had my little goal. That's all I wanted to reach. And Little did I know, once again, I didn't realize how strong I was um, mentally and physically, but I, you know, I'd done a couple shows and it was like, la-di-da. And the last show I did, um, the second one prior to the last one, the, the coach actually, excuse me, the, the judge actually came to my coach and said, you know, there's one more show left this year. And I think if we put her in the figure division, she's going to do very well. So 12 weeks, I had to stay in that prep mode. I mean, it was it was very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. But I knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I took a first, I took a second, and a third, and I qualified for nationals. Nationals. Like, what? Damn. I just put cellulite off my leg. And so I went to nationals last year, and I placed in the top three. Wow. Mexico, United States, and Canada. Wow. Okay. Beyond. Beyond. Right? So... What am I going to do now? I'm going to go for that first place. Yeah. And that will happen hopefully in September. So, yeah. I mean, you know, they say you just focus on this and everything else takes care of itself. That's totally what happened here. I had I had no intentions of doing this. <laughs> well, we, we often talk about it. We think, you know, there's just such a driven mentality of being an addict that when you can get sober and translate that into kicking ass in life, we are mm-hmm. heads and shoulders above your average normal person because that's just like in our DNA in order to support how we used to be. And if we can put it in the right direction, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Totally. Because how many times have people said to you, my God, why do you do that so much? Mm-hmm. Like I had a friend recently, like it's Saturday. Why are you in the gym? It's like, what? What? I've got a goal. What do you mean? What day? It, it doesn't matter what day it is. You know, and that's one of the beauties of this, right? Like we have that drive to survive. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, we shift that. I'm all, I, there's nothing average about me because I've shifted that into everything I've done. Yeah. You know, just like this book, come on. <laughs> I had no intentions of writing a book and it hitting this many people, you know? So yeah, there, we hold a lot of beautiful qualities that often are, are seen, we're shunned because of them, but. Yeah, I'm oh, grateful for him. Yeah, I love that. That's that's well said. Angie definitely, Angie talks about that a lot. And we always, 
sometimes it's more humorous where it's <laughs> like, you know, look at the things you've done to get drugs. And then you just apply that to your life and things get better. And I, I, I definitely like that spin on it, you know, or it's like we could really do anything, you know, and mm-hmm. I guess what it leads me to what, what it leads me into is like you were saying about the book and how, you know, you want to lose some cellulite. Boom. Now you're like a national figure <laughs> champion. Like it's just the, the shift, you know. So what is the story behind the book? Were you just like, oh, man, I'm going to write some things down. This would be this would be a good story. Or how did that come about? You know, kind of piggybacking on what we just said, I would tell bits and pieces of my story yeah. to people. And that would be the first response. Girl, write a book. You need to write a book. <laughs> Again, because I do such everything at such an elevated level. Right. Yeah. And so um, this has been, you know, bits and pieces for years. And then, you know, I'm, I, I meditate often. And so I'm not driven by my ego in my cerebral space. Mm-hmm. I drive from my, from my soul and my core, right? Like what's my purpose here now? Right. I've been given an amazing gift. And so then as source does one thing led to the another, to, I just kept doing that next thing that was in front of me that resonated with me. And piece by piece, I was able to put my timeline together, which was really a big deal because I had so many blackouts. I have so many spaces in my story I couldn't tell you. Oh, yeah. So I pulled out my taxes <laughs> and it told me where I lived, which means then I could pretty much piece together who I was with. Um, and so it, and then in January of last year, I met a, another amazing woman who I totally connected with, had great uh, uh, things in common with me. And so when I would explain something, then Marlena would be able to put that into words that others would be able to receive right and so it was this amazing kind of dance we did over probably about a four to six month window and then uh, the book launched in october and again again far far um goes further than my expectations i mean it's taken two awards already and it's not been out even for a year so it's Again, yeah, I just do I just do what resonates with me, you know, on a clean on a clean slate, you know, my soul is clear. So Wow. But, That's so awesome. What uh what were yeah. the awards? What were they what were they for? Um, let's see. So one of them was in the GLBT community. Yeah, yeah, cool. And uh the other one was the autobiography. And so there's it's like a firefly award and then like a dragonfly award. Wow. So I think they're, they're all indies, right? Because you know, I'm not I didn't go to some big publisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, yeah, yeah. It's so quite cool. awesome. Quite awesome. Yeah. Well, congrats. That's huge. It's probably uh, it probably feels good to know that it's it's helping people on a on a large scale. And you know the title. So the title's called "The Making of a Woman," right? Mm-hmm. That From is the inside out. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. That's so cool. Like, how would you not want to read that? Even as a man, I'm like, dude, I'd read that. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really, you know, and, you know, a lot of times when you think about a recovery book or a memoir or something like yeah. that, it's like, I, I don't want to listen to somebody like that, 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 like I was seven and then I was nine. And then, so w- instead of being like this chronological, you know, events, you know, story of events, it's what I do, because like what we're doing right now, like, we, like I said, everybody has a different story, but yeah. that language of the heart, as we call it, like, 
that's where I connect, right? So I say the word despair and whoop, you guys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so that's what I wanted to do with the book because I think so many people in or out of recovery are so compartmentalized, again, like the stigma of the words, right? Um, so I, I led with that emotion. So as you read the book, yeah, yeah, this is where we're at physically, but what I'm really focusing on is that despair, mm -hmm. that darkness, that feeling of, oh my God, is this never going to end? And damn it, I tried to do my best and look where I'm at again, like those feelings. And so we go through those spaces and then I get sober. And then, you know, then I get to, you know, like start doing these competitions and meet my husband. Oh my God, I, I have a husband. I mean, so it's like, I use the emotion opposed to the events. And I've had moms contact me and say, can you tell me what it is when my daughter does this? Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be writing to the other woman out there, right? Yeah. Like you're saying, like I've had a lot of men come to me and be like, so is this why my wife isn't comfortable in the swinging <laughs> community, right? Yeah, because it's trauma that you're triggering, mm -hmm. you know? So it's been, it's been so, once again, so much more than I, I had ever imagined. So much more. Well, there's something amazing about showing vulnerability. That's really what connects people. You know, they don't want to hear everything's great. I'm wonderful. My life has been awesome. They they want to hear the story. They want to hear the the journey and the vulnerability. I just keep coming back to vulnerability because I think that's where people really connect because you're saying what a lot of people are feeling and not everybody is communicating those feelings because they think it shows weakness or they think, you know, it exposes them. So I think that is probably probably why you get so much people reaching out is because you really exposed your vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And I think at this stage, after holding them everything in for so many years, I don't feel uncomfortable being vulnerable. Yeah. And maybe too, it's because I know that if I like lay out one of my vulnerabilities, 90% of the time, somebody else is gonna pull out one of theirs, right? Oh, yeah. So it's almost like the way that I kind of crack that egg in conversation so so yeah i'm not afraid of that at all but like we talked about it's also stark stark contrast different than what we needed to do to survive that vulnerability never would have been there as an addict as an alcoholic you never could have shown or even felt that side of you so it's almost uh refreshing to just sort of be without the armor totally totally i get to like utilize all my skills right being vulnerable, you know, it, yeah, we couldn't do that before. Do you think a lot of the like drive or just a lot of like the, I'm going to totally write a book. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to open up about my life. Do you think that came a lot? Like it began from like sharing your story in the rooms of recovery and being like transparent about your life in, in a way to fix your own. Do you think it started there for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, the minute I came in there, I wasn't saying the words I need help, but clearly I do because I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm present. Right. And, and you're, you're, you're right. I mean, getting behind the podium for the first time. Oh my God, I have notes. I think I even had an iPad, of course. That's awesome. I had all my stuff out. <laughs> yeah. like, I studied this for like, what, three days. I hardly slept. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm just a bundle of nerves. Right. And, and I think because I had the opportunity to go through that learning curve in that space and then to actually successfully get to the end of that hour 
and then have all of these people who I see every day come up and be like, God, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Or, oh my God, this. And so it's just like this huge, like snowball effect. So yeah, when people are like, are you a little scared when you get on and do an interview or, you know, go do a guest speaking? I was like, no. In fact, I'm, I'm looking forward to connecting with people. Yeah. So yeah, it does. It totally transforms, but they're baby steps. Oh, and I think yeah. the thing is, is that we, uh, we at all costs, right? Before and after recovery, avoid anything that's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? Period. That's the reason why I drank. I didn't want to feel. And so to be able to actually sweat it out, get the nerves, all that other stuff, and actually get to the other side of that, oh my God, like I have accomplished the world by being able to do something like that. So you put that one on the next one on the next one, and then, yeah, it just becomes like, I really enjoy this. So that's yeah, awesome. It's, it's definitely a baby step process. Yeah. And I think the coolest part, though, like what you kind of said, too, is you get real time feedback. You get real time results of just going up on the podium. And, you know, everyone knows if you're new to the rooms, you're probably scared shitless. And yeah. they all come up and we're like, dude, thank you so much for talking like that. We're so proud of you. And again, you just get like positive feedback for going towards the uncomfortability mm -hmm. and it yeah so I, I i like that you said that i could totally see that it's just you had all this confidence going into it like okay cool every time i open my mouth generally people are like hey good job <laughs> <laughs> and that was not always the case let's yeah. just put that out there <laughs> yeah not for me either but no. yeah no definitely not in fact i've been told to shut that mouth <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's funny. That is, I guess, another side of the coin, like when you're in the AA meetings or you're in the rooms and there's like the overshare or like the person like performing, you can tell it's kind of like this performance. You're like, dude. It's like, okay, I'm going to love you where you're at. I'll yep. see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. part of his learning curve. I, I appreciate the journey. Your journey. I mean, my, my, my mind didn't look like that, but I'll appreciate your journey. <laughs> I like that. So at what point did meditation become like interesting or a part of your life? Like, were you ever like, uh, like opposed to it? Was it ever kind of like this thing that like people just say you should do and you never knew why, or how did that kind of come about for you in, in recovery or before? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think, um, before recovery life was in isolation. So I was always in my head anyway. Right. Um, and so then, you know, going to these meetings and starting to feel a little bit of that love and attention and compassion and all the things I got to receive, I think then some of that chatter started to slow down. And what I actually did again, like whatever resonates with me that I know is in the highest best. So I was flipping through a yoga magazine and I had found that Deepak Chopra was doing a 21 day meditation challenge. And I'd always, always admired this man. I, I had books from the Goodwill on my bookshelf from him. And so, um, and so I signed up for it. And I mean, they, they start you out at like seven minutes and it wasn't, it's not silent, right? So just, I'd put my buds in, I'd get that email every morning, put my buds in. And then because life was still 24 hours was still pretty stressful. I'd, I would do it again at three o'clock, mm -hmm. which would then kind of restart my day. And so um, meditation for me is really now it's something I think that my body has learned to crave Yeah, because it is that stillness. It's that my body becomes healthy mm -hmm. when I, when I go into that space. 
Um, and so, and you know what too, is that, you know, a lot of times people are like, I got to just do this, you know, every day for this many minutes, like this rigid life like, yeah. perception. And I really had to kick that out too. So what I do is an hour every morning and whatever my body is craving, I, I give. So if that means I just need to journal this stuff out, like I got a lot of stuff that's eating my lunch right now, I'll do that. Or I'll listen to a speaker meeting or I'll listen something from you know uh, Wayne Dyer, right? Like yeah. whatever I'm feeling, what I need to be fed, I'll do. You know, and that's the same as, I mean, I'll go through some really crappy traffic and I'll get to the gym and I'll be like, oh my God, I'm gonna come in here like a <laughs> raging maniac. I will like turn the car off put one of my my meditations on and I'll just listen. All you got to do is listen. You're not doing yeah. anything else. Yeah, yeah. Just listen, you know? And so it's something I have practiced according to where I'm at. Yeah. I okay. really listen and, and listen to, you know, I'm in tune with what's going on now. Yeah. Right. And so I really listen to that. So. And that's yeah. awesome because that's kind of the result, right? Like that's kind of, that's what we're looking for is to like be in tune with us. So like, however you achieve it great you know i like i kind of like that idea of achieving that is what we're looking for we're looking to look in and just be still yeah. and see what's there and there's not just like we've kind of been talking about the whole show is there's not one way to do that you don't have to use the calm app for three minutes every day and you know <laughs> there's not like a the results are always different right yeah totally <clears throat> totally yeah i'm the and same i have a whole different I have like a whole arsenal and it's like, what do I feel like today? And just going with that. I think that's yeah. awesome. Because if you think about it, like anything outside of me is according to somebody else's belief system. Oh yeah. Period. I see a lot. I can see a lot of stuff out there that I clearly don't like, right? That's not part of my belief system, but even little things like what time I should wake up means how productive I'm going to be. Yeah. I don't know who made that up, but no, that's not necessarily the case. According to me, this is what works. Right. And, and I think that's a big thing I really, really had to look at is like, is this mine or is this somebody else's belief system? Mm -hmm. And that's what the book is about. Like right in the first page, it goes off and it, I start like, things that I had been called or, you know, like it starts off with like, you're not going to be anything. You're a dropout, a slut, uh, you know, and I just go yeah. through all of the words, right. That somebody else, somebody else's belief system that I acquired. And, and, and I've become very mindful of that. And there's so much freedom in that. And it, there's some things I still got to do. I got to drive the speed limit. I got, you know, I got to pay my bills. Like, I'm not saying those things. Like, those yeah. are somebody else's belief system I kind of have to do. Yeah, But yeah, when yeah. it comes to behaviors and stuff, I'm very mindful of that. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's an interesting thing to kind of look into, too, is, like, where did, where did you learn that? Where did the idea of slowing down to speed up internally come up for you? Where did... Where did that spotlight come from? Because I know I didn't have it. And that was like my biggest, uh, that's like my biggest fallback on being sober is like, I finally was able to look in, you know, and with looking in came all the answers, I guess, so to say. Yeah. Where do you think that kind of came up for you? Like this whole idea of like, dude, we need to, we need to look on the inside rather than the outside here. You know, I think growing up and trying to like that chameleon 
that we that I became as yeah. you know, a, a child through that trauma. Yeah. I think that started that whole that whole process. Like, how are they acting? How do I need to? So it's always been that dance. And then into, you know, as in my adulthood, right, I became mm -hmm. a chameleon and I did what they wanted me to be so I could stay. And so I was very conscious of that. And I think when, you know, doing that, wearing that mask, being that chameleon for that many years, it's almost like it chips away at your soul. Yeah. Right. And so when, again, the freedom we talk about, like I got in that room and I'll be like, I'm, in fact, I think it's like on the third step, it says something about, you know, your, your will and your, your oh God, what is it? Your will and your, anywho. Yeah. I give your like, will oh, over you to want, God of your understanding or something like that. It's like, you want all of me, do you? My, you want all of me? I'm going to give you all of me because I am so tired of being this chameleon. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's almost like I blew it out of the water when, when, when I got into recovery, I was such, it was like enough of this. I'm, I don't care what you think. Yeah. I want to do it my way. And now finally, because I was sober, when I did things my way or authentically, they worked. They were in line opposed to where they weren't before. Mm -hmm. So I think it was something I'd been battling yeah. since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Wow. <clears throat> so I have a question. Prior to the show, you and I, or well, we had talked about fitness being a part of your recovery and you're not sure you would be successful where you are today if fitness hadn't become such a big part of that because it helped mm -hmm. you work through a lot of those things. Can we talk about that a little more? Absolutely. You know, I think of our bodies as energy. We're, we're, we're energy. We talked about a little bit ago, like I can walk in a room and I can feel that energy yeah. from my energy, right? So, and, and again, if you like use different ways of quote unquote seeing things, you know, I, I, I realized that. And so when I would go into the gym, you know, if, cause like a feeling, well, emotion is a feeling moving. Right. So, so if I have this like emotion starting to come up, right. Well, eh, no better way than is to move it back out energetically. Right. And so I, I had found that, and man, I went through a learning curve there too. Boy, I was scared to even go to the weights. Yeah, I was that girl in the cardio room, the stretching room, the spinning room, any room but the weight room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when, and I think also getting a trainer mm -hmm. gave me that advantage of feeling like I belonged. Got it. Which was a really big thing because a lot of times when I would go into the gym, I don't know the equipment. I don't, you know, I don't, mm -hmm. heaven forbid if I ask. There's right? all those so barriers, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was way overwhelming. And so I think by, you know, actually getting the trainer and then, you know, and then also as my body changed, my friends were like, whoa, you know, will you train me? And I'm thinking, I probably get, need to get educated on this, which <laughs> then led to me becoming a personal trainer. And so mine was knowledge was power. And so when I went in and the more I learned, the more comfortable I felt, the easier it was for me to ask somebody like, hey, what's that machine do? And then they would get in and of course everybody wants to teach, right? Oh yeah. And so they would teach me how to do this. And so this whole world evolved. And then I started to realize that in the world of bodybuilding, this is perhaps another modality that people use to get through the traumas of their life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've really noticed that. And so then that gave me a whole new perspective. Like, well, no wonder why I belong here, right? They just perhaps still, maybe they just still do things that, you know, but this is the main modality that they use to get rid of some of that trauma. And, and 
and I think too, I love to be able to show other women things that they used to be afraid or they're afraid of that I used to be afraid of. Yeah. Going into the weight room, heaven forbid, sitting in that front row where the weights weights are right in front of you, you know, or walking in front of the guy on the bench. I mean, like, yeah, there we go. Yes, yes, girl, we do not tuck tail up in here. No. (laughs) (laughs) There is something so empowering for a woman about lifting heavy weight. Like, I absolutely love it. Um, I think it's something that a lot of women never tried and and unless they try it they don't know so um i i can definitely resonate with that it's it's like my favorite part of crossfit i do all the rest of it to stay in in you know good physical shape but the lifting is always my favorite part and again that's like a dogma right like that we are seen as women here's our persona right here's my stamp of what i'm supposed to look like talk like walk like i mean there's in my i've written a blog there's no wrong way to be a woman and right. so with what you've just said, right? Like, I, I remember when I was starting to build muscle and, you know, my friends are like, girl, don't you get too big. It's like, okay, first off, that doesn't accidentally happen. Yeah. So let's like scratch that idea, yeah. you know, but to actually now as a woman with, a, you know, my physique, the way it is, but still to be my feminine self. Mm-hmm. I mean, I put on a pair of red bottoms and let's not, <laughs> we're not kid you, you know? My husband loves to walk in behind me when we go into the steakhouse, yep. right? Because he's like, "That she's with me." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, like for for many, that's that's seen as, "Oh, you're gonna get too masculine." Again, somebody else's belief system. Yeah. Yes, you're gonna get Scratch. bulky. That's the big one Scratch. across it. You're gonna be bulky, and it's like, well, okay, but I'm healthy, and I look good, and I'm, that's I'm all muscle, bulky. man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I love that so much because, yeah, the belief system is like such a, a big thing. And, you you know, it trickles into the whole world. It's not just us people in recovery. It's not just us in fitness. It's literally everywhere. And I think one of the commonalities that I see in people in the fitness industry, people that are sober, people that are in recovery of some sort, whether it be, you know, eating disorders or sexual or gambling whatever it is like we're kind of recovering and a lot of recovering is just that it's like what are these beliefs and which ones are mine or which ones are theirs and which ones matter totally and that's kind of just like the basis of almost all recovery you know mm-hmm. and i just love kind of that correlation that we all have and mm-hmm. in different different ways different stories but it's all very like connected in that way and you know how exciting it is? It almost makes me feel like a kid. You know, it's kind of like, okay, like now we have the option of working from home, right? Yeah. But I remember the dreaded drive every morning going to work. Dun, 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 dun. And now to be like, okay, I have this option. Wait, I can still go into work or I can work from home. Okay, wow, what sounds? this sounds like a lot more fun. So it's like I'm a kid getting my way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because, and again, it's it's not that I'm I'm – it's not like I'm in my first month of sobriety making these decisions, right? right. This is over time and moving some of that old crap out and, and really having a clear sight of who I am. You know, when I, when I uh, had the attempt of suicide, I was in, a, um, I was in the hospital for two weeks, yeah. as one is. And I remember that. I think I was like, oh, got 30. Yeah. And I learned what my favorite color was. I was blown away with the insight that that was my my color. I like yellow. Uh-huh. Wow. It's like this little kid that never had a chance yeah. to like do what she wanted to do because 
all along, I was doing what everybody else was telling me I had to do. Yeah. And some people function brilliantly. I don't think healthy, but brilliantly, right? That right. Way, I think yeah. that. <laughs> and so things like that are just like, wow, this is really, it just warms my heart. Maybe it makes, comes, brings me back to my innocence or something, but I, I like being able to be authentic in the life that I have because mm -hmm. it's, it's mine. I get to use, I get to do this. Well, I think you hit it. And I think for a lot of us, we started using so early that we quit progressing. So when you get sober, you're sort of emotionally and mentally go back to that state, which can be really uncomfortable if you're 30 years old and you're thinking like a 14 year old again. So it's you know, being okay I with like that. Yellow. Process. Yeah. 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 Being okay with that process and finding the good in it, not the, all the uncomfortable, awkward, like 14 year old feelings. Dallas, you look like you really could relate to that. That was yeah. a big old cheesy grin there. He's like, yeah. I 14. was saying, I'm like, damn, what's my favorite color? You know, I was like, I don't even think I know. I like black, um, but it's not a color. So I'm like, shit. It is a color. I disagree. You think black's a color? I love it. It's my favorite. Well, and purple. It's this. So Jules, what was yellow in the in the hospital? What what did you see that was yellow? Was it a bee? Was it was it the scrubs? Was it the wall colors? Was it the medications? What was yellow there? <laughs> was it the padded room? Yeah, um, the no, pads. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think they had me coloring. Oh, okay, cool. I think I was coloring. I was able to like uh, graduate to where I'd have my own room. And that's where I learned to start listening to the tapes. This is back when we had little cassette tapes. Uh -huh. You know, listening to soothing music. Gave my first eye opener that we are of energy. You know, and yeah. I remember, I think we were coloring. And so it's just something I was just like, oh, I really like this color. Yeah. <laughs> so again, one of those things I wasn't even searching for. Just landed in your lap. <laughs> that's how source works for me sometimes. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I think... Um... One of my favorite questions to ask people in long-term recovery, it's more for like the audience and just kind of maybe people earlier on in recovery, but like for you, Jules, now that you've been in recovery for so long, like what does recovery look like for you today? Like what is long-term recovery look like for you? What does that look like? God, that's a really good question. There's so many layers to it. Um, right. First off, I think it, yeah, I think, you know, first off is having my own opinion as we've yeah. related to here numerous times. Um, that makes me feel like a person. Yeah. I'm, I'm not somebody's shadow or, you know. Um, and I think also for me to feel sober is for me to cut the crap, all the extra chaos, like, if I get caught up in a vacation or I get caught up on what somebody else is doing, anything outside of me takes me out of that space. Right. So, you know, and, and I think I remember when I was first new and I thought you have five years, you're lying, you know, like that's not possible, you know, yeah, like that yeah. whole stage. And now that I've done that five years, a couple, you know, maybe three times now, it's like looking back, I, I tell people that, you know, the only difference really between you know, me and that, that, that those first few years is that I've done this a few more times. I've gotten on the bicycle and I have fallen five more times than you have. Right. This is the only difference. I use these tools just like you do. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you have three more bloody knees ahead of you. So just knock them out, you yeah. know, kind of like, 
This is part of the process, you know, because there are days I'm way off the beam. I'm a hot mess. My husband, thank God, a blessing from God. But, you know, like he'll just come in and be like, how can I help? Oh, my God. If you're ever in a rage and somebody were to say that to you, I have to tell you from personal experience, it totally just it shuts down that energy. Right. So so for me to be sober is like to really be in that space of it's it's okay if it is and it's okay if it isn't. Mm-hmm. Good well, answer. Yeah. 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 And I think that's just such key because I think there's a misconception that if you get sober, all of a sudden everything goes great in your life and people are ill prepared that life continues to come. In fact, it's hard because there's a lot to clean up. And how can you steal yourself up so that you don't go use over having to confront all those things that have sort of been waiting for you? Yep. And again, giving the tools to practice that is life skills, mm-hmm. right? Because every day I can't, you know, I can't get to a meeting or right. I, again, I, I make my own decisions now, right? Like yeah. self-supporting perhaps, right? And so that has been built up over time of people asking me questions when I'm in those shitty spots, you know, not solving my problem, because that's not what I'm looking for you to do. I'm asking you to help me find my answers. Right. You know, so. So, yeah, it's a totally different way of living life, actually. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think the like kind of the ironic part of like even asking that question of like, what does long term recovery look like is it? it's kind of based off of like the cookie cutter answers of like, what do I need to do? Like someone listening is like, just tell me what to do. Like there is one path. Like Jules has been sober for 15 years and she goes to two meetings every day and she meditates at six in the morning and she works out and that will work for you too. You know, it's kind of like under even the question is like this, tell me what to do and I'll just do that. So I don't have to have an opinion. Totally. And you know what? That's it's the easy way out. Right. But as we know, that's where that circle continues. It just continues right in that space. Right. I mean, if you think how many billions of people or whatever on this planet and not one of us have the same fingerprint, that's the that's the fine example that not there's nobody in the world like me. Mm -hmm. I am the only one of me there is. And so and I think, too, I've been misguided so many times and so long that I wanted nothing more than just to make my own damn decision. Yeah. And so that also was that freedom that I got when 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 I decided to stop drinking and drugging. Well, and I think people who don't choose to do that, they leave themselves that excuse or that back door. You told me to do this. I did. It didn't work for me. You know, now they have a built-in excuse of why they can't succeed, which is, again, why it's so important for people to discover what's works for them and make it their own as opposed to what works for somebody else. And just hearing you say that, I go to my root and it's like, I feel defense. I feel, um, I feel defeated. Mm-hmm. Like if I were that person coming back to you saying, I did everything you told me to do. La 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 la. Well, when I go to my core, I feel, um, yeah, I'm defeated and now I, I can't do it. So I'm going to blame somebody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, like back, 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 let's go a little deeper. Let's talk about feeling defeated. Not yeah. the fact that I didn't give you the right answer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Again, that that's that those tools. Yeah. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Mm-hmm. Jules, do you think? Um, well, not do you think? Do you know? I guess is sobriety big in maybe the bodybuilding community or the the community space that you're in with like health being such a massive forefront of like you know like our body is our temple. Do you see that like recovery or sobriety being like a theme inside that community at all? 
you know, in my tight knit circle, it is because gotcha. I surround my surround myself. But to be right. honest, you know, to be honest, um, no, because no. remember, I I talked about how some people use this as a modality of survival. Right. You know, and if you think too, people don't always do things healthy. So yeah, you're getting big. But how? <laughs> but you're eating pop tarts. Yeah. You know, you're getting big, but you're using a lot of supplements. You know, your right. heart now right. is in problem. I mean, so it, it. I think that that goes in any any genre, right? Yeah. We have the we have the people who's you know stay stay healthy and do it you know a, a much healthier way, and then we have the people who are just so so beyond that. But again, part of the journey. Yeah. Part of their journey. That's totally. true. We've yeah. had other bodybuilders on the show. Well, we had a guy, and there's there there can be a a underbelly to the whole um, you know bodybuilding scene as far as like people who use natural supplements, people who don't. And how do you? And I know I, I'm friends, really good friends with a woman who did it, but she had to drop out because she was competing against other women who were using. Uh, you know, steroids and unnatural things. And she's like, my body can never be as good as theirs because I'm not, I'm choosing to not do that. Do you find that prevalent in that world? Um, I'm only, the, the, the two worlds typically don't cross. Okay. You have natural bodybuilders and then you have like NPC bodybuilders, ah. people who will use supplements. And what does um, NPC and, and mean, I think Jules? That, oh, it's the National um, Physique Committee. Oh, okay, okay. NPC, it's one of the big, the big, big organizations. And you know, again, 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 this is what works for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I could easily load up on a load of gear. Yeah, yeah. Right, and take this trophy in September. But is that the way I want to exist? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I could usually just go and get butt implants. Let's face it. I can buy this stuff. Buy right? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what, do, is that what I want to do? Right. No. Yeah. Again, that's going into that authentic. No, I want to earn it. Yeah. I know when I earned that last third place, I earned it with every sweat of tears, yeah. everything, you know. Um, I but that. I did have a, a I did have a friend who uh, was in that natural bodybuilding and she's 40 and starting out. And so she was not, you know, some of these girls have been doing this for years. Yeah. Um, and then let's be honest, not everybody's truthful. Right. So right. it's kind of like, all right, again, do you want to deal with what's going on around you, outside of you? Or what do you, what do you want your body to look like? Yeah. Right. What is, what is your goal here? If it's just to knock out and get that trophy, then psh, knock yourself out. Yeah, go get it. Yeah, yeah. Take the, take the <laughs> totally. 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 So that's, that's my take on that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's to each their own. Yeah. No, I like that. That's a great approach. Mm -hmm. I think in, in my experience as a guy, you know, as a counselor for a lot of dudes that want to get sober and, you know, we'll see a lot of clients come in on steroids or get sober, leave the program, get on steroids. Cause they, they start to get healthy and gain the weight and get strong and get addicted to how their body's let's, looking. <laughs> let's do that to the extreme, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, I've seen it be just a, a big barrier for a lot of dudes. I, uh, I haven't talked to any, you know, females that have, were taking steroids, like in at least my office, but with, with dudes, I've seen it be a huge button or a huge barrier to like continued sobriety where, their emotions start going all haywire or kind of like you said, where they're doing something for maybe the wrong reasons or they're taking a shortcut and it's old behavior. So I've seen it be like a big conversation in my life of talking with other men that have 
It's like, oh, I'm, if I take sober or steroids, am I still sober? And I'm like, mm. what do you think? <laughs> How do you yeah. feel about that? And I've seen it go, I've seen it go badly, I guess is what I'm really trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I have to, I have to be honest with my journey of starting at 40, right. Yeah. And then going this long within this community, it's very attractive, super attractive to think that if I were to do A, B, and C in that stack, I could get here in half the time. Yep. Yeah. Come on. I am human, right? Yep. I am a human. good deal is a good so, deal. You know, <laughs> I'm saying you can't pass that stuff up, um, but <laughs> But again, am I willing to am I willing to pay those consequences? Right. Right. And also, I find that if because I obviously right, I told you I wore Spanx for how many years. I have a body image issue that I struggle with. Right. right. So yes, I eat healthy. I keep the people around me who aren't going to let me get out of control. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it helps me. Like it kind of helps me become comfortable with the way my body is. And I say that because I have on season and I have off season. Yeah. I will go up like 20, 30 pounds in off season sometimes. Wow. Right. On my frame, it's, it's not very noticeable. But for my eyes, I'm sure, I mean, my God, to look at the scale. Right. So that's your soul that's knows. Totally yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> that voice is very loud sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but to, again, to get through that learning curve, to like, you know, fall on my knees a couple of times and be like, you know what? This is what you're supposed to look like in off season. You know, not necessarily my increase in weight, but, you know, this is what it's supposed to be like. So mm-hmm. to be able to, again, accept the ebb and flow of things. Yeah. Right? But I still, even even like two weeks out from a show, I'll put on a pair of shorts and I'll be like, girl, are you kidding? What the hell were you thinking? Right. And so I'm like, OK, clearly I'm two weeks out of a show. My brain is telling me something that's not true. Wow. Right. Yeah. So, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting when you allow it to play out. Um, and I think though, also, as I get older, it's kind of like, do you not know what I just, I just pressed how many hundreds of, no, no, this really isn't going to matter to me today. <laughs> you know, it's like, I've done bigger and better things today than worry about what my legs look like in these pants. Yeah. Well, I think so. that's where the years of experience come in because I, I remember like, even in my early days of CrossFit, if I missed one day, the panic would set oh. in that I would lose all my gains. I was going to put on 20 pounds. I would never get it back. And you know, it's just, it takes time and muscle memory and where you start to realize I can relax a little bit, that I can take a week off and I'm not going to die and my body's not going to blow up to the way it used to be. And that's where the years of experience and consistency can really help an individual, but are really challenging in the beginning times. Because there is no way in God's green earth, if somebody would have told me like that space you just talked about, yeah. oh, just take the week off. I'd be like, you're against me. Yeah. You know, I, you're like, sabotaging me. What? You set bullshit. some boundaries yeah. with them. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> I mean, my husband took me, he works, he works internationally. And so he, uh, he took me overseas one time and I was, I'm, I was considering not going on the trip because I couldn't bring my food. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. Exactly right. So I'm telling you, the delusion is still here at times. Yeah, yeah. But there is no way. Again, I have to appreciate my journey, other people's journeys, because there'd be no way that you would t- listen to me if I said, you know, what, girl, just take off these three days, skip leg day this week. Are you, what? <laughs> Absolutely. So there's no reason for me even to put those words out because it's not going to happen, right? So again, it's part of that learning process, mm-hmm. um, and and I think I think that's also we all have a, this purpose. 
right? So if I didn't go through all of the stuff I went through, younger years, yeah, mid-aged years, well, I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you what it's like afterwards. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah, well, and it's so, so so much of like the balance of life. It's like, you know, you got to like evaluate it and say, you know, is this me going overseas with my husband more important than me doing leg day? Like, it's like, you got to like be okay with the bigger picture and really step back and see what's driving you and, and being, you know, even gentle and compassionate with ourselves because we have such high expectations of what we should be achieving and being okay with that. Kind of like that laser focus we talked about, yeah. right? To be able to dim that down, like yeah. that first year when I just did not get off that meal plan. Yeah. No, I, I know there was trips I canceled because I couldn't. Yep. And then I would also do trips that I made all my food for the full week and brought with me. I mean, but that was that time. Right. That That's right. exactly what I needed to do to get to where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was but, the, yeah. the bricks of the foundation that was like setting it totally. out there. And then it's many oh. years later where we can start to give ourselves a little leniency and grace and not lose all those gains. Totally. Because you actually get to see it yeah. for truth, right? Like you have mature muscle now. Right. Right. Like, it's staying. It's yeah. there to stay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you almost feel like you've earned that. Yeah. But I think you have to have that drive in the beginning. And maybe people call it obsession, but ooh, I don't feel it's an obsession. I just got a hell of a goal ahead of me. Mm -hmm. And I really just don't want to be sidetracked. Yeah. So I don't know if that's healthy or not. Sitting in front of you too. I'm not sure I should disclose that. But <laughs> I, I actually good. think it is because I think if you give yourself a a pass for the weekend and then you don't win, you in your head go through all this guilt and shame of had I not given myself that pass, would I have mm -hmm. done better? And so I think you know we've learned as individuals that holding ourselves to high standards is it it can be a really good and positive thing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if, like you said, give yourself that pass, well, what happens if that was in a different scenario? I'm going to give you a pass to have a drink this weekend. Right. Okay, that's not my goal. That's not my goal. Yes, I'm obsessed with not drinking, right? So it's yeah. like it, it, it's, it's pretty much the same template. Yeah. So, Jules, I guess uh, earlier you, you were saying, like, you're talking about getting sidetracked, and I was wondering if you've experienced any, like, injuries from bodybuilding for such a long period of time. Is there any aches and pains from doing it for so long you ever pull a shoulder or anything like that just generally out of curiosity so knock on a lot of wood right because we're, we're <laughs> a lot gotcha of wood. yeah you know i i i have not i have not awesome um i'm i'm small framed so i have to be very mindful um yeah. and of course we train a lot and so i get tired and that's really when i have to be mindful mm -hmm. um i've got an amazing coach awesome. an amazing coach who is just on me um, but I also take precautions, right? Like I'm taking stuff from my joints. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, inve you know, investing in the body of what I'm expecting it to do for me. Yeah. So I feed it well, I feed it healthy. I have a very clean diet. I'm on a meal plan, um, get my water in every day. You know, um, yeah. I've actually now started incorporating the IV, uh, supplements where you can, it's like this, you know, bag full of multivitamins, yep. right? Dude, that works awesome. really good for my recovery. Yeah. I get massages every Tuesday, there you know, go. so it's like I've incorporated the changes that my body are, is going through to continue to keep it as strong as it is. Gotcha. But um, I oh. did herniate a disc probably like seven years ago. Gotcha. Well, but hey, that that's awesome. It, it wasn't surgical. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I know but a lot again, of people think a lot of people think, you know, bodybuilding, doing fitness that long, you're going to get hurt or something like that. But 
you know, the like you're saying, the recovery and the supplementation, it's all like a, a lifestyle. And I think that's why maybe for people in recovery, it's so appealing is because it's so all inclusive. It all just works together. It's the eating. It's the mental. It's the physical. It's the results. It's just, a, I don't know. It's just so like interconnected. I it's enticing. It never ends. There's never the goal never stops. No, it's like doesn't. ever ever changing. And I think my body is meant to be healthy. Right. So my body's going to keep doing what we're doing in order to stay healthy. Yeah. Right? Body's so on board. That, totally. Totally. So I think that's a part of it as well. I don't like how I feel after I eat something I thought I would love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's never worth it. You know, my eyes are bigger than my stomach. It's it. so, so yeah. And I've just learned to accept that this is the way my body's supposed to function. And I'm strong because I, I continue to, to challenge it. That's awesome. Well, and I think yeah. again, there, that's where the experience comes from, where we go. Okay. Last time I ate that, it sounded really good, but then I felt really bad. And it took me a long time because I always said, I get mad. I have like an iron stomach. I can literally eat anything and not feel bad about it. And it took so many years of being really good and disciplined before I could eat that bad thing and it would make me feel bad. And I was almost like, hallelujah, yes, I feel bad. This is good. I should not do that. <laughs> Talk about a learning curve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dal can eat whatever he wants, and he's, he's he can he can burn it all and and have a great physique. He's yeah. He's a, he's luckily in a different spot than I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Angie never lets me live that one down. Ugh, I'm just jealous. the like I could eat whatever I want still phase of my life. I know. It's she she'll put those beliefs onto me like you just wait, you just wait, you know. <laughs> Someday it's gonna catch up to exactly. you. Exactly. Well, like they tell you, like, oh, you're you know, you're 50 years old. You should not be doing this as a woman. You know, it's kind of like yeah, you says know? who? Like, yeah. Exactly. That nope. That's your dogma, not mine. Yeah. Like, yeah, what so. kind of people would say that to you? Like, I, that's where my curiosity goes to. People like... who think they're looking out for your best interest. <laughs> they really think they're doing you a service by warning you about this. It's really, bizarre. you know, and I think, I think also it's just them commenting on their beliefs. Like, right. oh yeah, I couldn't make it to the gym today because damn, my, my, you know, my joints are hurting and you know how it is when you get this age. Right. Right. That's okay, theirs. So I don't know what that would be, you know, like in, in <laughs> like type of behavior that is, but it's kind of like, you're bringing me into your little shit show there. Yeah. And, and that doesn't apply to me. Yeah. Right. But it's, you gotta be very mindful. The word is extremely powerful. Yeah. Right. Remember, unmanageability, surrender. It's all right in my same thread here. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, no, that that's not mine. <laughs> yeah. That's no. not my experience. Yep. No. Yeah. yeah. I think we get that a lot, even with CrossFit, you know, doctors and chiropractors and everybody. Oh my God, CrossFit's so bad for your body. And, you know, my my response to that is like I would much rather injure myself from doing a heavy squat than just getting out of bed because my body's so unhealthy. Like how embarrassing would that be? I'd much rather say I was doing something super badass that caused this than I could be, you know, barely stand up because I'm so unhealthy and, and not fit. She's saying she needs a good story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not going down like that. Oh, no, I was no. underneath this bar. <laughs> exactly. I but even it. better, just uh, keep doing it so we just don't have those injuries to even have to talk about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Jules, I'm super excited to read your book. I'd really like to read it. And I think yeah. uh, I'm going to have to go buy it and learn all about you. 
because that sounds exciting, and I really, I've really enjoyed your story. I think, you know, I, I just, I love this type of stuff. Like we were talking earlier before the show, like these are wheelhouse conversations for us three, and mm-hmm. um, it just, it just feels good in the heart, you know. And I've, I've, I've had a really good time. Yeah, I have, I have too. And you know, it's, it's now, it's like there's a different purpose in mm-hmm. life. Like my purpose is this desperation of letting, like, as I say in the book, the girl in the back of the room, let her know that she's not alone. Yeah. I've been that girl in the back of the room, whole crowd, the whole works feeling completely alone. Yeah. You know, it's like if, if just, I don't know what it is, that drive of like, I can't, I have like the cure for cancer. I cannot hold on to this. Yeah. Right. So the more that I get to do what we're doing right now, even if it's just, 10 people who listen to this or a hundred people who listen to this, you know, source has got the outcome, right? I just get to keep doing what resonates with me. And so I'm totally grateful. I'm totally grateful that we had such a great conversation, but more so I'm glad that we, that we, we stand here and connect like we are. And hopefully that energy we put out is like the one that I got when I went in that room that time, you know, and people walk past that fear, and that uncomfortableness and just get in and be like, man, I'm a mess, you know? So I totally, and again, if you look good doing it, you're not doing it right. (laughs) No, that's awesome. Thank you so much for saying that Jules. That's, you know, I think that's going to happen. Like you said, the source has the outcome and dude, just, we're just, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Why don't you uh, let our listeners know all the different places they could find you if they want to reach out to you, if they want to get your book? Like, how, how do they how do they get to you? you know, <laughs> What's the secret? Social media. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, um, I have a website, themakingofawoman.com. And so that's kind of like my mothership, I call yeah. her. Um, it's like, so that's where you're going to find everything. The events that I'm doing, the places I'm speaking, these podcasts I get to do. Um, of course, where you can buy the book. Um, I'm very active on social media. So that is something that I do personally. So I'm the one on the laptop at home on the couch, you know, responding to people. Um, I I could not give that to somebody else to answer. And so if there's, you know, you'll find all of those uh, different channels, of course, on the website. Um, And so if, if there's, I tell your listeners, and of course you as well, that if there's something, anything, shoot me a text, send me something through instant messenger, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and don't be afraid because that's, that's why I'm here. I'm here for that reason. So this has been an amazing conversation and we are really glad you were able to come on the show today. So, and it was really great connecting with you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free, confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.